If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. We are unmuted, and now we are transitioning into slightly something else. Hello, everybody. I didn't know you were transitioning, Jack. That's very brave of you to say. <laughs> I was transitioning into the program and not the right. preview. <laughs> Hello, everyone. We're, we're a little bit flustered because Jack left things a little bit late because his dog had a squirty tum or something. I, I wanted to take Cookie outside before the podcast to not have to leave in the middle of the podcast, make sure all the squirty stuff was out before the podcast started, which just meant we, we ran a few minutes late. But we're here. We did it. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Slightly Something Else. I'm Yahtzee Crozier. And Jack's I'm having a little drink. And I'm Jack Packard. Right. Uh, and uh, no, Michigan der Reiner, I have not done anything new to my camera. I just I turned on a blue light behind me. Ooh. Uh, I'm I'm very pale, and my wall color is also very pale, and so it doesn't contrast a lot. So I put a little blue light next uh, behind me, oh. and, and now my skin tone pops a little bit. Oh yes, you mm. look a little warmer. A little warmer. I also have a festive Easter shirt on. That helps, maybe. I like how you take this seriously. <laughs> I t- I take this very very seriously, even though we are running uh, dreadfully late. Yes. Uh, I just turn on my office ceiling lights and hope for the best. <laughs> Well, we're here anyway. Uh, actually, uh, Andre Delaney, thank you for the 20 euro uh, tip, which which reminds me, Yahtzee, you know, we get to do a lot of fun things here at The Escapist. We get to, you know, have a weekly podcast where we talk about whatever we feel like talking, whether it be Dark Souls or Dark Souls. You're right. We should check our privilege. We should absolutely check our privilege, uh, and our our privilege is because of you, uh, the viewer, uh, more specifically you, the person who is uh, an Escapist Plus member or a YouTube member, those people yes. who who give us the super chats and the tip money during the streams, you allow us to continue to do this, and we really appreciate you. Yes, all all of you people are genuinely... Better human beings than the rest of the viewers. Mm, mm. I think I I think mm. it's not unfair to say. I mean, better humans seems like you're you're being coy about it. Superhumans might be more accurate. Ooh, even better. Mm-hmm. And perhaps you superhumans would like to know about some of the projects the that your superhuman money is going towards. We've got a pretty cool Spirit Fairer documentary coming out soon on the Escapist. That's something I'll be interested in. That was my game of the year last year, was it not? Mm, it was indeed. Uh, yes, Nick and Omar putting together a new gameumentary uh, for Spirit Fair, talking to the developers. I'm. Uh, it's also a game I I enjoyed. I am looking forward to watching that. Certainly am. But if you want something a little bit closer to home, we've also got a charity stream this weekend. If you're into that sort of thing, for able gamers, that's, that's right. happening. That's happening on April 3rd from noon central time to midnight central time. We were told to plug all this. And we're doing a great job of plugging all of this, as our plugging is uh, is turning up Super Chats already, Yachts. Oh, boy. Thanks, Neku and Nemo. <laughs> Thanks, Neku and Nemo, for the 100 rubles who says, oh, God, please, not the souls talk. You're, you, that'll be okay. There won't be too much of it this time. No. And thank you for the 30 euros, Andrew Delaney. But, uh... Let's uh, stop with the Super Chats for a while. Let's leave the Super Chats for a mid-conversation breakpoint. Because mm, mm. we actually did have something to talk about this week, did yeah. we not? We did indeed. Um, as, you know, you and I are, are slightly older. We, we both grew up in an age before the internet. Yes, we're at the age where if we were anime characters, we'd be complaining about how we're past it and how we're going to die any moment now. <laughs> Absolutely. And so yes. in and the, all the teenage characters would refer to us as Gramps. Yes, and we would get very mad, but then also take a nap in the middle of the day 
which would be awesome because naps are fantastic. But in any case, you well, and I- don't take just don't just take his word for it because uh, I think Toffee oh. agrees. Oh, is this Toffee? <laughs> Surprise, Toffee. Because of uh, because of the hold on, I, I need to move up your uh, your camera just a little bit here. Now we can see a little more Toffee. Surprise, Toffee. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, here, so so the the point is what I'm getting what I'm getting at here with pre-internet is when Yahtzee and I played video games back in the day, the only information available was from the video game itself, from the instruction manual, from your friends that also played it, and occasionally a strategy guide that would yes, give we, you extra hints. Yes, we were talk, covering this a little bit when we were talking about adventure games mm-hmm. not too long ago. That is Didn't right. have the internet back then, so the adventure game was a much more tenable source of entertainment. You could be stuck on those for months. You just had to figure it, figure it out. Just have to figure it out. Hope that your friend got through it so you could chat about it. And that got me thinking about about this idea of going outside of a video game in order to discover more, in order to figure stuff out. Like the start of a game obsession, uh, being so mm. obsessed with a game that you go to outside sources to figure stuff out in that game, which in the day of the, the, the day now of the internet is a lot easier to do. It was certainly a different time mm. being obsessed with video games back when we were kids. <laughs> I mean, these days you can find a lot of people who will share your obsession and we'll probably make very creepy fan art. Oh, uh, there's always creepy fan art. Absolutely. Uh, but back back then, you could only be obsessed as a weird sort of insular thing, <laughs> and nobody encouraged it. And you didn't. And you didn't start believing you were married to Sephiroth in the spirit world <laughs> or any of the other things <laughs> people with terminal internet poisoning do. Right. Uh, absolutely. And so I, I I was hoping you and I could have this conversation about uh, games that got us into the meta game, got us into the fact of, of like part of the game is learning about the game. Uh, and I think I'll, I'll go first because mine is probably a little more basic, which is a Super Mario World. That is pretty basic. Oh, we often said you're definitely the basic one, Jack. <laughs> And I'm well, very comfortable with that. Yes, no doubt a, a <laughs> popular choice. Because I grew up in England, Nintendo wasn't uh, like as big mm. in Europe mm-hmm. as it was in America. I think the people I knew who had Super Nintendos were in a minority against the people I knew who owned uh, Sega Mega Drives or Amigas. Sure. So why don't you talk us through that... F- what it was like playing Super Mario sight unseen as a little child. Well, you know, it was it was it was a large world. Obviously, we had Super Mario Brothers 3 which which took us through a, a larger world. It wasn't just, you know, stage 1 1 stage 1 3 whatever. There was the overworld, right? Hmm. But Super Mario World gave us a more detailed overworld, but more importantly, Yahtzee, it gave us secret paths on the larger overworld. And that blew my little mind. The fact, yeah. the fact that in a level you could do something that the the game didn't tell you to do, and it would open up new paths, was was unheard of for me. That is uh, probably a dizzying example of depth. <laughs> yes, for a, for a kid who's used to Super Mario Three. The other thing, of course, is that Super Mario Three had like um, separate hub worlds. But Super Mario World was the first one where the whole map was one big map. Yes, yes. And I can only imagine when when you're used to like linear games and you started on stuff like Super Mario Brothers One, and you discover that there's a secret level that can take you on a whole other path you never thought about. It must be like it must be like swimming on the surface of a volcanic lake, and just getting the sense that there's this massive Lovecraftian abyss stretching away below you. Well, yes, you know, like your hyperbole aside, the idea that doing that in one level could open up a whole new area started mm. to make me dig around in every single level. You know, the 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 boo, you know, there's there's the one level then there's like the the boo level that leads you to the secret Yoshi area. 
I'm thinking of uh, very early on. And so you just start poking around in every level, looking for all those little things that adds replayability. It adds length to every playthrough. It, it just adds it just adds more value to the game. Yeah. And I think because it came out in the time before the internet, it felt more magical to discover all of this. <laughs> it's like the adventure game thing where if you could just look it up on the internet and mm. find out about it, then you, the appeal of it is a lot more limited. Mm. When you discover these things for yourself, it's like it's like finding a private little nook in the woods where you can hide your comic books and chocolates <laughs> and go there and your stepdad starts really pissing you off. Absolutely. It's a... It's a it's a child's fantasy, a child's little place of discovery. It is. It is. And and that's kind of what made, you know, a lot of Nintendo games. And I, I grew up with Nintendo games. That's what made a lot of Nintendo games magic. You know, thinking back to even the first uh, Legend of Zelda on the NES, which I, d- I didn't get a ton of playtime as a kid kid. But, you know, mm. just just being overwhelmed with the amount of things in there. Now you're explaining it all. Makes it easy to see why people get so nostalgic for these old Nintendo games. Well, and I think you and I have probably had this conversation before about the, the Breath of the Wild. The mm. the magical thing that Breath of the Wild does is it gives you that feeling of discovery, even though a programmer programmed it, <laughs> even though we know every player has discovered this, you know, the 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 uh, the glowing horse on top of the mountain, whatever he's called again. I think just to counteract the everyone can just look it up on the internet effects, all you really need to do is just put more stuff in. Put more stuff in so then it's not that it's hidden, it's that most people can't be bothered. Ooh, sure. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, then you get into the you get into the Spelunky problem. The uh, Spelunky, uh, as a game, had a ton of different secrets and different hidden paths. And what happened is uh, people started digging into the game code to try to find all of the secrets. And that's how the eggplant run was discovered. Hmm. You can, if, yes. yeah. if you can play through the entire game and carry the eggplant with you through the entire game, you get a special secret little ending. And that's something that no one ever would have found on their own. One, one in a million billion. But because they could dig into the game. yeah, Kind of spoils it that they dug into the code to do it. I guess the problem right. with Spelunky being a roguelike is that all like the secrets is like close to the surface, as it were. Mm-hmm. It's not like a designed experience like Breath of the Wild, where you have to get big deep into someone's extensive level. Sure, sure. In Spelunky, all the all the systems are just lurking below the surface, waiting for the runtime engine to start positioning it all. Mm-hmm. So right. I guess there's less of that thrill of discovery, I suppose. Well, it's I guess it's something to be aware of as we are playing games. I and I do try to go into as many games as possible as blind as possible just so I can have that um oh, oh there's a name for it, suspension of disbelief that that I truly am the chosen one to discover it even though, you know, a, a thousand people are currently streaming it also being the chosen one discovering all the things. <laughs> yeah. It feels more special when you know it's just yourself doing it. Which is why I hate online features in single-player games that does things like showing you how many other players got to where you are now. Or there was one, that mm. one Mario game. I think it was um, New Super Mario World, Super Mario 3D World, one of those. Okay. Where um, people on the Miiverse could leave comments on all the levels. and said, I got through this in one minute. <laughs> I'm like, I'm still trying to find the treasures. Here's a here's a picture of Mario with like a huge anus for a face. That sounds like a terrible idea. Did they Take it. did they discontinue that? Well, they didn't do it in Mario Odyssey. Oh. Well, I guess they they're not really doing the whole Miiverse thing on the Nintendo Switch. That's probably good. It's it's less a culty social media thing mm-hmm. than it was. Good. Yeah, Mies aren't a thing anymore. They aren't? I don't, I don't think so. I don't remember making one for the Switch. Oh, well, oh, now I'm trying to remember. I have a little me on my Switch. I have a little me. Well, never mind then. So- <laughs> well, I, they, don't, they don't push it the way they did on the, the Wii and the Wii U. Mm. 
Sure. Mostly it's mostly it's just here's your games, pick one and stop wasting my time. That's that's true. That's true, which is uh, honestly probably a good thing. So did you get a strategy guide for Super Mario World? I did not get a strategy guide for Super Mario World. Luckily, that was, you know, obviously a very basic and popular game. And so that's that's the first game, though, I remember talking to other kids about. Yeah. Strategy guides are a thing that publishers tried to keep going way longer than they should have. Want to buy a strategy guide? Now I have the internet. Right. <laughs> right. And that, that, that's where that conversation ends. Mm. Right. People, no. are saying there are, people are saying there are still me's on the Switch. It's all very much in the background, ah. which is basically what I said. Whoa, yachts. Uh So, yeah, I, I remember, like, having these conversations with other kids and learning more about the game. That, like, that's the thing that got me into the, the social element of gaming is Super Mario World. Did, did they ever lie? Did they ever say there was a they that they found a secret place where you can unlock the Mario nude cheat? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, specifically, no, not the nude cheat. I had friends who'd lie about the video games, <laughs> or they or they just exaggerate. Like they told us how they played Legend Suit Larry and how there's sex in it, and you can see everything. And if you and you can fuck prostitutes and get AIDS and die, which is on the way towards being true, but not actually true. What I what I remember, I I definitely remember kids like saying that I heard about this one. You know, like never never like oh I did this because of course you could just go over to their house and see whether or not they did it. All right, friend of a friend. Yeah. My uncle works at Nintendo and told me that that et classic one. No, no, no. My cousin did this, and that's how you can get uh, infinity lives if you do this and this and this. Right? Mm. Never, never worked. No, of course not. Mm. No. Well, I guess I have an example too of my first game obsession I'm that ready. extended to talking about it on the playground. And that would have been the first game I owned on my old Commodore 64. Ooh. That was the first game we booted up when my parents first brought it in. And we were all sitting around trying to figure out this new age of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that first game was Fantasy World Dizzy. We got it on a cassette tape. Uh-huh. You had to put it in the deck and press play and wait half an hour and... Thinking back, I wonder how I was able to hold in my excitement long enough for it to load. <laughs> but yes, if you're not familiar with Fantasy World Dizzy, it was, I guess you could say it was an adventure game because it was based around solving inventory puzzles. Okay. You you were an egg. You were an egg with a smiley face and little stubby arms and legs. And you were in this fantasy world. The, you were in the titular fantasy world. The eponymous fantasy world. Mm-hmm. You started off in a dungeon cell. You had to like trick your way past the troll guard and escape from the castle and rescue your girlfriend from the evil wizard. And how did you trick your way past the troll guard? This is the important mm-hmm. thing. Well, as I said, it was sort of an adventure game with inventory puzzles. Uh-huh. So you had in your cell a jug of water and a piece of bread and you had an apple in your pocket. Oh. And uh, if you gave the apple to the troll, they'd go, oh, that's generous of you. Why don't you throw the water over the fire in the back of the cell and escape through there? Troll apparently not having great job satisfaction. (laughs) So you'd have to throw the jug of water onto the fire in the back of the cell. But that was just like the tutorial puzzle. That was the the starting puzzle. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was having the biggest trouble getting out of that initial cell. And I didn't realize at the time it's because caps lock was on. What? And in the and on the Commodore sixty four, if you had in Fantasy World Dizzy, Shift was the button for jump. And the other game main gameplay mechanic, the main gameplay loop really in Fantasy World Dizzy, was you were spending the whole time wrestling with this really weird platforming physics, where you were constantly like you somersaulted to jump onto things, uh-huh. but if you didn't land perfectly on your feet, your character would just keep rolling. And more often than not, they'd roll straight off the ledge into into a pit or a moat or a fiery torch. Perfect. And you only got three lives. <laughs> and if you and if you slightly brush a flaming torch that any sensible person would think was in the background, mm. it was death. 
You stuck your face in the torch. Why did you do that, you enormous pranny? I'm sure that was the exact text box that popped up. But because shift lock was on, I didn't realize it. The first time we were playing the game, the dude was just constantly jumping. And we tried to jump over to somewhere to, to, to interact with it. And we'd jump too far and roll into it and get killed by a torch. And I was, I was getting quite upset. This, so, I'd waited half an hour for this bloody thing to load and I kept jumping into the fire. So in, in your mind, the game, like the, the game's core mechanic was you're always jumping and you just have to time it right. I guess that's what I assumed. That's so but, funny. <laughs> but eventually, eventually we figured it out. Okay, okay. And uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you how much time passed between the first time I played Fantasy World Dizzy and the first time I finished it. Because <laughs> there was no saving either. You had to play through the whole game each time you started it up. What? That's yeah, yeah. incredible. And if you lost all your lives, you had to start all over again. Classic. So I, I had to figure out... How to get out of the castle, mm-hmm. how to find all the items that unlock all the elevators that take you all the new areas. It was almost metroidvania in that respect. Sure, a little metroidvania a little uh, recursive as you only get one life to get through it all. Uh, we are talking yeah. about Fantasy World Dizzy on the Commodore. On the, co- on the Commodore 64. That is right. I. This sounds like an intensely... Like by today's standard, a game like this would either be uh, an artistic masterpiece or or laughed off of Steam. <laughs> There's no world in between. But the, it was all we had, and like the Dizzy games were very popular in in Europe. So uh, I had a, there were a couple of friends in my school that we, where we talked about uh-huh. and exchanged tips on where we were on Dizzy. And we'd talk about all the other Dizzy games, and we'd swap the Dizzy games with each other. Sure. And because they were on cassette tapes, my dad could fairly easily copy the cassette tapes with his home stereo. What? So we were borrowing games of each other and copying them and then having them for keepsies. Couldn't do that with cartridges, could you, sucker? Absolutely not. And so because you had to beat Dizzy all in one go... Were you just kind of remembering all the things, or did you like actually have to like write down, like, oh, here I do this, here I do this? Would you just have to remember it? And it was easy to remember it because you did it over and over again. Yeah. And then you'd go to your friend's house, and he'd have it as well, and he'd he'd show you how far he'd gotten, and you'd go, oh, I didn't know you had to throw the potion at the dragon at that point. Thanks for the hot tip, friend. <laughs> and you go back home and so excited, goes, mom, mom, I know how to get past the dragon. Right. You pass the dragon and get to the next roadblock that you're stuck <laughs> for the for the next six weeks. <laughs> and you know it get it worms its way into your head. I was like drawing my own dizzy comics <laughs> alongside some friends because. Because it was a huge part of our lives. Because that's what you had. You had an egg. You just and we had and we and we had uh, the f- uh, we had like friends talking about all the other dizzy games they'd played, and some of them lied, and saying I played a secret dizzy game that's like that came out between Dizzy Two and Dizzy Three that was called Dizzy Two and a Half. What? And where there's this whole character you don't know about called Danny, who's like Dizzy's little brother, and I was like chinny on asshole. Wait. Which is what we said when we didn't believe people. But then I looked it up as an adult, and actually, this was a thing. It was a. It came out on a magazine cover tape. What? This was a yeah, real could, thing. It was a real thing. You couldn't buy it in shops. It was a magazine cover tape exclusive. <laughs> I was going to say so, your friends sounded like real assholes, like <laughs> lying about Leisure Suit Larry, lying about Mario, lying about Dizzy. <laughs> yeah. But no, as it turns out, you were just not trusting enough. I guess not. But with all the lying they've done before. Well, you've been betrayed so often in the playground (laughs) with your your friend whose uncle worked at Nintendo. And who came back from America and got to see Indiana Jones 5 in the cinema before anyone else. What? That sounds amazing, Yahtzee. Your friends sounded really cool, is I guess all I'm they saying. Were, well, they were lying, Jack, <gasps> is the point. Oh, they were lying. So is, do you know, did you look it up as an adult, is there a way to play Fantasy World Dizzy 2 and a half now on PC? Yeah, you could, there's a ROM hanging around somewhere, I'm sure. Because uh, a lot of people were nostalgic for the Commodore 64, and where there's nostalgia, there's obsessive archivists mm. online. 
And then I guess so my 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 follow up question to you is: Have you now, as an adult, been able to experience the pure joy that was Fantasy World Dizzy Two and a Half? No, I haven't played Dizzy Two and a Half because by then I'd moved on. You know, mm-hmm. there were so many other games requiring my attention. You know, might I might I recommend a retro review of uh, here? Here's a game <laughs> a game in a franchise that you love that you've never played. Well, I don't think it would get the clicks, Jack. I don't don't think it would be interesting to many people besides, like, people from my generation who grew up in England in exactly the same areas. You don't think that would would tickle the search engine optimization? I don't think so. Mm. Although since we do these in the mornings in America, we do get quite a few European viewers, I think. There you go on the stream. There you so a lot go. of people's, a lot of people talking about how they remember Dizzy and saying things like "chinny" when they were at school. Simon Pingledew, for example, says "chinny reckon" was what he used to say when he was a nipper. So what you what you used to say when you didn't believe someone? You'd say "chinny on, chinny on, asshole." Why the why the colorful colloquialism? Why not just say, "Hey, you're full of shit"? I don't know. Why does anyone <laughs> say anything? Why did we all say amur when we saw someone doing something bad at school to imply that we were going to tell on them? This is We just did. This is it was all a thing. you know, like this is weird this is weird British stuff. These things Look, don't no, exist. No one knows where this this shit comes from. No one knows where playground rhymes come from. Nobody knows who first coined the immortal song My Friend Billy. Oh, I d- I'm sorry. Uh we're gonna need you to <laughs> say that right now because again, this is not something I've ever heard of. Well, I actually looked up online if anyone knew the origin of my friend Billy, and uh-huh. n- nobody, nobody can. It just spawned on playgrounds at some point in the sixties. But it goes, my friend Billy had a ten-foot willy. He showed it to the girl next door. She thought it was a snake and hit it with a rake. And now it's only four foot four. And I thought this was just my school, but like years later, I saw it referenced on one of Charlie Brooker's early web projects. Uh huh. Uh, no, I love it. I love it. We had we had the uh, the place in France. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, I think I heard that there's one. a place in France where the naked ladies dance. There's a hole right. in the wall where you can see it all, but the women don't care because they're washing their underwear. Something like that's, that. Re- that's good. that had really bad cadence. Uh, or maybe they didn't care because they're in their underwear, but then they're not that's, naked. That's better. I f- that I, sounds better. I I forget how it goes. The important part is there's a place in France where the naked ladies dance. That's the important yes. part. Oh, Ant's Pants would like us to know that my friend Billy was also in Australia. Hmm. Somehow it crossed the waters. Well, as did most Britons to get to Australia. Well, there you go. Across the waters. And not sure it dates back to um, the time of transportation, but who knows? Anything's possible. This is all I'm saying is anything is possible. So I guess what we're talking about here is that that is what video game obsession looked like when we were kids. (laughs) (laughs) Is is lies, uh, half truths, and 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 nuggets of information mixed within. unhelpful bullshit which is a lot of where you know like game blogs are now so i think i think it's nothing's ever really changed well i think a few things have changed okay i mean if you go online and uh, look into video game obsessions like if you get obsessed with games these days you can go online and find all sorts of things to fuel your interest mm-hmm. like as you know i've been fairly obsessed with persona lately i do know that and, it's nice to have like uh, temporary obsessions. It happens to me every now and again. Mm-hmm. Like if I, when I like play Stardew Valley for like sixty hours a week for like a few weeks. Yeah. Or back. Or going back even a few more years. Like every time I picked up a, one of the Sims games, I like play it obsessively for like a week and then never again. <laughs> All right. And at and at the moment it's Persona. I'm still like, uh, which has helped. I'm sort of like drip feeding it to myself because I get like one hour of free gaming time in the evenings mm. that I'm using on getting through Persona Five as we speak. Like personal gaming time, right? Yeah, and because I've been drip feeding it myself, it's like fairly. I'm going to bed, like like ending the game and going straight to bed. So it's still like running through your mind <laughs> sure, most of the sure. time. Yeah, yeah. You wake you wake up thinking about um, why you haven't fused 
Bayako properly yet. Yes. Haven't we all been there? So with my mind constantly leaning to it, I have sort of like been gravitating to looking at fan content online. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, there's entire YouTube channels like that just do that just do dramatic readings of Persona fan comics. Oh. Which which generally involve two or more characters getting it on. Well, yes. <laughs> I, well, I am well. I am not surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of waifu hunting in those games, and a lot of people have their preferred pairings. Mm. And they like to express their preferred pairings on in fan fiction and art across the internet. God bless it's like, the internet. It's like that little corner of the playground where we'd make our Dizzy comics has now expanded into a universe <laughs> full of weirdly talented artists who, well, I won't say wasting their time because at least they're getting some practice in, but it's not, not really getting into any commercial ventures anytime soon. I think you would be surprised. Like The, the commission rate for smutty artists is pretty high. Not like oh, I've ever commissioned right, yeah. anything. Yeah, people make a lot of money on commissions with fan art and stuff. Absolutely. So it's now it's like the little corner of the playground where we make dizzy comics is its own fucking industry. Yes. This world has gone mad. Yahtzee, you could have made dizzy comics and sold them on the playground for, you know, coppers or whatever you say over there. Yeah. And that's just been scaled up <laughs> Ex- by the internet. Exactly. The internet's the internet scales everything up. From fan content to paranoia and insanity. <laughs> like I follow I follow a lot of artists on Twitter because it's great to just see neat art in your Twitter feed. And a lot of times they will post their commission fees. And it's like, oh, you know, here's here's what it is for a black and white uh, uh, portrait chat. Here's what it is for a full body. Here's what it is for full body color. Here's what it is for, you know, smut, basically. I don't, you know, everyone puts it a little differently. But it's like, if your commission involves, you know, smut of a copywritten character, it's going to cost you X amount. And that's always the largest amount. And it's there, so you know someone has paid them for it already. Good for you. Good for you, artists. Make that smut. It's weird to see the things people latch on to, I suppose. Like, when I was looking at, like, Persona fan stuff, mm-hmm. I discovered there's this entire sub-community that has created this imaginary version of Persona 5 where they take all the teenage characters and make them the adults, and take all the adult characters and make them the teenagers, and reimagine the whole plot with that in mind. All right. So the main character switches places with the character who's, like, the main character's guardian in the original game. And they and that dude becomes the hero, and all the, like, the adult characters become his friend, his teenage friends at school. It's like... What was that comic they did where they like reimagined all of Batman's villains as like high school kids and having high school dramas? Oh, I have no idea. This is an, an official comic? I have no idea. I'm sorry. I think there was an official one of this. I think they were like floating it as a as a like a TV pilot at one point. Oh no. Gotham High. <laughs> yes. That's yes. Arkham High, maybe? Yeah, but as I say, there's this whole like sub community in in the Persona fandom that makes art uh-huh. for this concept. And I've never gone like I've never gone that deep in to like gaming obsessions where it's like, oh, wait, well, eh, well, I suppose like the deepest I've ever gone there as far as like someone creating a fiction is would be something like Freeman's Mind. Where it's really mm. just a playthrough of the game, but you know, a, a, f- yeah, yeah. a fiction over it. I, I've never. I, I, guess, I, guess, I guess that's fan fiction, but it's also there's an element of satire to it, and it's funny as well. Yeah. So it's not just it, you, people don't watch it just because they're obsessed with Half Life, I suppose. Well, but you kind of have to be aware of Half Life to get the context for it, and so it's like it's a weird like mix of a let's play. And a radio play. <laughs> Can I say something that might scare you? I am ready. There's probably erotic fan fiction of you and the red-lettered media people. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, it's probably out there somewhere. I like. I am a person of the internet. That is a rule of the internet. Sure. 
Uh, I am not. I am not going to look into it, and I encourage you all not to send me it if it exists. Yeah, um, there's not. Yeah. I don't think there's any of me because I'm a solo act. Usually, this comes out of people getting obsessed about relationships between people and like reading too much into a basic working or friendship based relationship. I would assume there would be something with your with your ZP character, though. I would <laughs> I would assume. I know of. A crossover between my ZP character and My Little Pony, but I don't think it was erotic. <laughs> then you obviously don't know My Little Pony fans well enough. <laughs> I think it's funny. Like, this sort of shit started with like people getting off with imagining Kirk and Spock having sex. Yeah. But these days, like, there's all sorts of fiction where it's just two characters getting together and hanging out right? and with no sex involved at all. And that's fine. You know, like, the whole reason it's called a ship is because it's an imaginary relationship. That's it. And so I get that's I get that's the etymology, yeah. Which, uh, by the way, I like the first time I figured I found that out. I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. I'm upset that I didn't know that earlier, because <laughs> I I knew of the term shipping, but I never knew yeah. it just came from relationship. Uh, so actually, I mean, as a, as a as a linguist, it's kind of annoying because there's lots of words that end with ship. It could be short for acquaintanceship. But like you said, that's where it's evolving, where it's not just a sexual relationship. It could just be a friendship. And I think that's I think that's a that's a, a maturity in in our uh, fan fiction. Huh? You know, just to just to drag this back to the original topic. Let's do that. And just to be a little curmudgeonly. <laughs> I, I, I worry that these associations with the weird sector of fan fiction and fan obsession on the internet Mm -hmm. sort of makes people feel lonely about their obsessions i mean back in the day um you could just be obsessed with dizzy and hang out with your friends talking about it but these days you almost feel a little bit ashamed to admit that you're that uh, you're interested in like the relationship between persona characters because then you get lumped in with all the weirdos yeah, that's that's a classic. A uh, few bad apples ruin the whole batch. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no adult person who can say that they're into Sonic the Hedgehog without getting weird looks. Well, quite. And who? And you, there's like many many years of weird obsessive fan stuff. Yeah, that creates that effect. Right, and so, uh, back in the day. Being obsessed with something that was something that you could keep inside your own head, I suppose. Well, and it still is. I, I think. I think basically it's a double-edged sword, where like the internet means that you can connect with everyone who shares the same interest with you, and I think that's a really wonderful thing, especially for like niche, niche, niche things, right? But then there's the internet escalation factor. Mm-hmm. But then the internet also lets you connect with all the people who are into yeah. the same thing you're into. So what I'm saying is the internet has ruined everything it touches. <laughs> <laughs> and we were. we were better off without it when our only contact with the outside world was teletext and cups on the end of a string no 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 i i like i like the internet i think it's worth it overall because because uh oh because here's the thing yeah it's i i don't blame the internet and the internet might have escalated things but what i really think it is is we are now uh people now are so tied to intellectual property that they can no longer remove it from their personality that's a good point that's the other thing the internet's done it's <laughs> it's, it's turned fandom into part of people's identity yes it's weaponized from, fandom all of that comes from i guess if you go on a forum for something like this and all anyone knows from you on that forum is your name mm. and the things you directly type in there it's they sort of feel like the 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 forum identity is your whole identity mm-hmm. and it's very easy to sort of reflect that back at them and start feeling like it's a central part of your identity as well hmm. if you get what i'm saying i get what you're saying i it's i i think it's very easy to be caught up 
in in that echo chamber where it's like back in the day we're we're in recess we're in study hall wherever you can talk to other kids and you talk to a friend about dizzy about super mario world but then there's yeah, also uh, people there who you have to interact with who don't know about that yeah and uh i never considered myself part of the dizzy fandom <laughs> but I, it wasn't part of my identity i it, uh, there were games i liked mm-hmm. i also liked um Round the Bend and Maid Marian and Her Merry Men and all the other British TV shows. <laughs> well, I guess I guess that's the thing is you you could talk to different people about different things, but the the issue that the internet has escalated is you no longer have to talk to other people about different things. You can just oh, talk yeah. about Persona Five over and over. Nothing else but Persona Five over and over again. Right? That's what they do. They compartmentalize everything. Mm-hmm. That's how you get the echo chamber issue. Mm-hmm. That results in anti-vaccination and <laughs> fake science mm-hmm. and all the problems in the world today and i think the internet will be remembered alongside the lead in the water pipes that drove the ancient romans mad mm, i i think it's very very possible we have not quite yet we have not quite yet mastered this glorious new communication tool that is the internet uh, right where the where the eight men like just shrieking around the black monolith at the start of 2001. <laughs> yes. And isn't the black monolith wonderful, but also we're going to start beating each other with sticks and bones now. So I guess we just and, need to grow out of our internet infancy. Well, and I, I I think we're getting there. And I think like with every generation, you know, we now have people who have grown up with nothing but the internet. And so internet literacy should be something that is taught and learned now yeah that's a scary fucking thought it, do you ever you ever sit down and realize that we might be the last generation that remembers a time before the internet we will be we will we, that's that's just how time works we'll we're just gonna have to remember what it's like for everyone yeah for historical purposes we we're going to have to remember before the internet we have we remember, have a, a weird place remember video game magazines Remember playing game demos off the cover disc <laughs> on video game magazines? Well, do you remember having to ring the bank to transfer money with the phone do you remember, like a caveman? Do you remember having to unplug the internet so you could plug the phone back in? Whoa! Oh, man, that was the transitionary phase. Well, that that's what makes our generation incredibly unique as the ambassadors we yahtzee you and i are ambassadors of the internet because we both grew up without the internet and we grew up alongside the internet so in other words it was our responsibility to keep it reined in and we failed it, it now as fully grown adults it is our responsibility to rein it the fuck in because all the old people didn't know what to do with it so now now oh that now, god I, I don't need more responsibility it's, too, it's up to us boomers ruined a, another thing we gotta fix it yeah, man people call us boomers like the younger generations they just don't know the difference anything older than them is a boomer come on man get yeah. get with it know know what the generations are but yes now now that we are in charge uh as soon as the boomers die you know we're all keeping our fingers crossed it'll be up to us to fix it all <sighs> so- <laughs> <laughs> and I think we can because we grew up alongside of it. And so I'm going to be filled with hope and only a little bit of dread. All right, let's contrast each other there then. Great. Time for some super chats, I feel. Super chats! First one is from Aditya, who gives 100 rupees to say, Hi, Arty, you reference QI often in the podcast. Do you watch clips from the show on YouTube? Also, how do you feel about what I lied here? Yeah, I watch a lot of clips of British panel shows mm. on YouTube. It's probably how I've held on to my accent this long. Mm. I also and I enjoy. You also watch like British panel I, shows. I, I also enjoy clips of British panel shows. They're very funny. It's a very British thing, isn't it? The panel show. Mm-hmm. You don't see it much in like American TV. You don't see it much in American TV. Uh, I'll tell you where you do see it. the reason that I like it is because it reminds me a lot of theater sports. Yes, there, there's a lot of uh, overlap there. Yes, between because I was used to watch um, whose line is it anyway, and that was always like went on like alongside the panel shows on British TV. It was the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 
it was presented as like a game show, but the points were completely meaningless. It was just people bantering. Right. And yeah, there's a lot of like improv comedy going on there. And like all it is is like, here's the setup of the game and this setup only exists so you guys can riff off of something. That's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and so I, grew, I, I love them. I grew up watching stuff like, have I got news for you? And I like to think it's shaped a lot of my adult bantering ability Hmm, i like that i think i think that's maybe just a good that's a good thing for anyone who is interested in learning how to have a a conversation a banter-filled conversation watch a lot of british panel shows they're great yeah there's a ton of podcasts online a lot of people don't realize that bantering is a learned skill i had to i had to do some media training at one point Hmm. because i was like starting like a professional uh podcast sort of banter type thing sure and we had and we had to learn the basics you know learning how to relinquish a thought so that we can kick it around learning how to read unspoken cues from people to know when to uh interrupt like when to fill a pause <laughs> and you always have to fill a pause yeah, yeah, we do a lot of that as well in uh, in what we call applied improv, which is uh, training that we give to other people where it's like active listening, filling your need, having an idea to bring, but also being okay going along with someone else's idea. All the same mm. stuff. And you know what? It's very important. Scavenger pays $10. So were there puzzles you couldn't beat until it was in Game Pro or Nintendo Power? For me, it was Game Boy's Final Fantasy Adventure and Oasis and Eights. You had to do a figure eight around palm trees. Oh, yeah! I played a lot of point and click adventures growing up, and there were ton there were a ton of puzzles I couldn't figure out, and had to like uh, exchange notes with other kids on the playground or look <laughs> look up things mm-hmm. in live video game magazines. I remember quite distinctly, I was stuck on a game called Curse of Enchantia. Okay. And uh, I looked, and one time I, I saw, like a, I was reading a video game magazine that was doing like a Q&A page, and I noticed um, one of the Q&As was like a puzzle I hadn't found yet. But uh, at the start of the answer, it said, after you've dispatched, uh, this, dispatched the robot with the coin-filled sock, and I was like, I needed a coin-filled sock! That's how you dispatch the robot! <laughs> well, and... Correct me if I'm wrong here, because I did not grow up playing a lot of these adventure games, but weren't there some puzzles that you could only solve with the use of the manual, and that was their early DRM system? That was a very Sierra trick. Mm. Sierra did that all the time. You had to look up details in their manuals to um, uh, figure out what number you had to call on like the phone in the game, mm. stuff like that. Right, right. So Yeah, that was... That was Pretty common. It was their version, as you say, it was their coffee protection thing. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I don't, uh, uh, no no puzzles come to mind for me as far as like things that could only be solved via Nintendo Power. But uh, I, I just didn't play that. I didn't play very complicated games, so it's okay. Seems not. All right, <laughs> T. Williams CA gives four ninety nine US to say, I remember when Com- I remember when Commodore also made PC clones. All right then. Also, do you believe people would be as nostalgic for modern games like we do for eight-stroke, sixteen-bit games? You know what? I don't think they will, just because there's so much competition mm. these days. As we said, um, there weren't that many things to play when we were obsessed with Dizzy, and so you could find like a small, random group of kids in the school playground who'd played it. But these days, if if you didn't have the internet and you were obsessed with, say. Um, no time to explain that one indie platformer. What are the odds of finding someone at school who was also also obsessed with it? Not very high, I'd wager. Right, and like nostalgia comes really from uh, nostalgia comes less from the property and more our feeling that we had playing it when we were younger and carefree and not so full of dread. And, uh, you know, children who grow up today are filled with nothing but dread uh, because that's the world we have given them. So, no, I just don't think uh, I don't think there will be any nostalgia. <laughs> that was very cynical of me. And <laughs> no, no, I think you're right. Then I would say that because I'm a cynic. <laughs> Diego Lomac gives five R dollars, whatever that is, to say that alternate universe referring to, I think, the Persona 5 one I mentioned, mm-hmm. reminds me of the gigantic size of Undertale fandom with all their alternate universe stuff. Mm. Yeah, that's a big fandom space. That is a big one. Great story. I remember, 
I occasionally browse like the Reddit relationship stories, like subreddit, because it's like full of interesting train wrecks. Oh yeah, it's great gossip. <laughs> and there was a story a while back where someone was saying that they'd made something online that had like gathered a fandom, mm-hmm. and they'd just discovered that their fiance, who they'd met thinking their fiance wasn't wasn't aware of the work they did online, turned out was actually a massive fan of it yes. and deliberately sought them out. Yes. And had been making like fan fiction of it, and like this was like on the eve of the wedding, and they were feeling kind of betrayed. I I also read something similar. I don't know if it was the exact same one. Ugh. And I remember they didn't say who they were, but the speculation was that it was the Undertale dude. But uh, oh. that it was that was entirely speculation. What a what a nightmare! What what an absolute nightmare! To I mean, like I, I guess about anything, but like specifically that they lied to you about knowing who you were, which feeds off of all sorts of parasocial uh, fears of those of us who make things on the internet. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. Okay, quite a few to get through. Okay, so let's, let's go. Uh, let's rattle them off quick. Great. T. William C. A. gives a four ninety nine US to says I heard that ZX Spectrum was a big hit in the UK and only the UK. I have not heard anything to the contrary. T. William C. A. Nothing to add, Jack? Uh, I'm not sure I know what that is, and I grew up in the U.S., so I'm only confirming your point. Yes, ZX Spectrum was a retro computer with a big gaming scene. Okay, yep. A big big homebrew gaming scene, actually. okay. The Spawn Camp gives US $2 to say, Yahtzee's in charge. Oh, Jesus. Okay, I might take offense to that. (laughs) Uh, Yahtzee is a very capable person. I don't know if you know this. With some things. <laughs> if, you, if you need me to invent a swear word for you, I'm right there for Generally you. Generally speaking, Yahtzee's a very capable person. Ian Cassidy gives 20 US dollars to say, What's really terrifying is the possibility is the smutty and non-smutty fine fanfiction might be the only thing that endures from those stories. Case in point, pretty much all of Greek, Roman, Norse, and Celtic mythology, etc. <laughs> well, I can imagine being disappointed if uh, I awoke from cryonic preservation 400 years from now and the only thing people remembered about my books was the smutty fan fiction people wrote about it that is still your legacy carrying on and i think that like no matter what however no matter how it carries on it is still your legacy carrying on right if if all people remember is like the fanfic of uh, Jacques McKeown, uh, the, like the porn parody of Jacques McKeown, that means that that Jacques McKeown was a big enough character to have a porn parody. Good enough for me. Well, if the porn parody is all that's left, everyone will be going, "Oh, that historical figure Yahtzee Crozier must have been a big perv." <laughs> and they would be correct. <laughs> oh well, there you go. <laughs> Cheerful Spider gives US five dollars and one cent. Mm. To say, Yahtzee's in a unique position to be the Jon Snow of the 21st century and break off the pump handle of the internet. I think your references are going over my head there. I assume you don't mean the Jon Snow from A Song of Ice and Fire. Why would you break break off the pump handle? I'm I'm sure it makes sense to them. I'm sure it does. We're just going to have to agree with you, I guess. Goku Sond BZ... Gives US $5 to say, simple question, what is your opinion on limited run games as possibly the future of physical gaming? I I, I think it's great. I, I don't think it's the future of gaming at all, uh, I but I, I like it when uh, a digital-only something comes out with a physical release for the hardcore fans who want a physical release. I think that's that's fun. Sure. I, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's not much of a future, but it, it's... I guess it's a way to stick around. It is like it. It will no in no way become the standard because digital distribution is so easy, cheap, and effective. Yeah. So it's like it's like how cowboys stick around as a nostalgia thing for tourists, and not because there's any actual bloody use for them these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, two dollars from an onion to U.S. dollars to ask: Do we have a favorite contestant on whose line? Ooh. I mean, you know, they're usually all good. Uh, which are we talking? Yeah. Are we talking? Uh, you know, Greg Propes was probably the only one that crossed the the border uh, often. Uh, he was great back in the day. 
uh, well, I, gotta, I guess I got to say Ryan Styles. He's he always seemed to be the best at improvising on the fly. I'm you know like uh, Ryan Styles and Colin Mockery. When whenever they were together, it was it was gold yeah. all the time. But you know you also can't discount Wayne Brady and like his musical chops alone. Like even if you're not into musical improv, the talent there was it was disturbing. <laughs> It's funny, you don't really see Ryan Styles or Colin Mockery doing anything else. It's like the those guys, like the two people in the world who are best at improv, so they just do improv. <laughs> that's all they do. That's, and that's great. I saw I saw Colin Mockery and oh another another um oh and I'm trying to re- I can't remember anyone else's name, but uh I saw a, like they did a live improv thing and it and it sold out a huge theater here in Milwaukee and it was brilliant. Oh, who was the other person? Oh dang it doesn't matter i guess i guess ryan styles has been in a couple of movies he was in the hot shots movies Mm, well and uh, he was also you know main player on uh the drew carey show so i I never saw that oh okay i don't think we ever got that oh you know it wasn't it wasn't the greatest but for those of us who were really into whose line it was just an excuse to watch them more often oh blimey there's still loads of super chats okay so we're going through it we're going through it Paul says gives five US dollars to say what kind of fan fiction would you appreciate, Jack? I'm gonna I'm gonna say no more super chats, okay? <laughs> I'm just gonna read out what we got. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't appreciate any. I I, I like it uh, when it's it, it's a, an authorial thing, authorial thing. I guess I don't know. All right. Sora three eight three gives six ninety nine Canadian dollars. Say, can you two think of a game stroke games that got you interested in reviewing stroke critiquing games? Say that one more time. Can we think of a game or games that got us interested in reviewing or critiquing games? Mm. You know, the first time I remember writing an actual review for a game, it was for Half-Life Opposing Force. Okay. And I submitted it to a video game magazine when I was a kid because I wanted to play games for my job. Sure. Probably wasn't very good. I don't know much about it, but Mm. I guess that's the first time I remember... Feeling like I was obsessed enough to write from a position of authority. Hmm. Sure. What about, you, what about yourself? Uh, might be. I mean, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm an opinionated fuck since forever. You sure uh, are. That's how you get here. It's how you get here. Um, I would probably say the first game that I felt confident enough to discuss with my other gamer friends with any form of authority was probably team fortress 2 I, mm. I had so many hours in i knew that game inside and out so well i could d- discuss and debate its merits uh very very easily and that probably led me to uh, like down a lot of pipelines as far as like oh why mm. does this work so well Ooh, what are other people doing Ooh, what's going on over here so we both nominated half-life adjacent games they're they're pretty great pretty great games there you go B.S. Marsh gives five US dollars to say Infocom also required physical media from its box to solve puzzles, and the early alternate reality game had a burn sector in its disc to stop copies. Yeah, I think most PC adventure games did the physical media thing. I played mm. a adventure game called Operation Stealth that had like a little booklet with puzzle solving information in it. Uh, Worms on the CD32 had one of those black code books that you couldn't photocopy. Ooh, fun. So you had to like like array they had like raised letters with all the codes in, so you had to like catch the light to be able to read them. Mm. So you couldn't photocopy them. Oh oh here's something very important, Yahtzee. Uh from Antoni Nedichev. John Snow was an English doctor that lived in the nineteenth century. He discovered the source of a cholera outbreak and stopped it uh stopped its spread by breaking off the handle of a pump, as we can only assume huh. it started at a water source. Yeah, that's how you get cholera from from dirty water. Oh, well so so that is the John Snow reference. Uh this John Snow's very good name has been ruined by George R. R. <laughs> Martin. Thank you, Mr. Martin. Not to mention the Jon Snow, who was a, like a newsreader back in England when I was a... Might still well be one. Ruined anyway. it. Ruined it all. Uh, I'm going, probably going to mispronounce this. Jesse Bruffler gives 20 US dollars to say, You talked about games that started your love for games, but what about games that accelerated your passion for them? I loved my SNES growing up, but really got into games when The Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion came out. 
Yeah, I guess I'd have to say Half-Life was what really got me into a broader gaming sphere because up to then I'd mainly just played point-and-click adventure games whenever they came out. And it was then that I realised that narrative games could be an exciting thing. Mm. Exploring new dimensions of uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. And- so yeah, half, Half-Life for me. And you know, very, very. I mean, really, it's just we can. I can just lump the entire uh, orange box in there. Like getting into all of those games, Half Life. Uh, you know, Half Life Two, Episode uh, Two and Three, or One and Two. Sorry, uh, Half Life Two, Half Life Episode One, Episode Two, uh, Portal, Team Fortress Two. That's what started me down down the trail of very critically wanting to understand. And if you remember, those games had director commentaries. Oh yes, that's a rare thing in games. Incredibly rare thing, and so you could you could walk around like the Team Fortress level and find little thought bubbles, and then they would say, "Oh, we designed this in this very specific way to do this and this," and you go, "Ooh, how fun! I wish more games would do that." Yeah, and there aren't many. I think one of the Chronicles of Riddick games did that. Mm. They, but yeah, it's hard to do commentary on something that the player is in control of. Well, and you know, I think they, Valve found the best way to do it. They did it on um, the the game, The Flame and the Flood. They did a director commentary right. at certain levels, but they also made you play through the game, which is a very difficult game. And it's like, no, just let me walk mm. through the game. Let me let me play it on no damage mode, and give me the director commentary. I would love that. Love that in all games. Give me God mode and let me uh, director yeah. commentary. All right, Neko and Emo, thanks for the hundred rubles. Didn't give a comment. Oh, and here's another one. Maybe they maybe they suddenly remembered. Neku and Emo gives another 100 rubles to say, Yahtzee invents a new swear word for you. Should be a benefit at some tier of support. <laughs> P.S. Super Chat has different text input field. Oh, oh okay. I guess that's that's why they, they donated twice. Okay. Then. That's a great idea, by the way. A co- oh, it's, it's not that hard to invent swear words. You just take a swear word, existing swear word, mm. and then you think of a two-syllable word whose first vowel is assonant with the vowel in the swear word. Mm. And then you've got your made-up swear, like fuck knuckle. <laughs> what, what's the definition of assonant? Uh, like, like sort of rhyming, but not quite. Ooh, okay. Fuck knuckle. So just, just, has, just to give it the same vowel sound. Like, give, me, give me a swear word. Uh, give me any swear shit. word. Shit. All right, shit brisket. Ooh. There you go. Just pick any two-syllable word where the first syllable has the same vowel. Ooh, okay. Now your turn. You, I'm going to give you twat. Uh, twat. Well, see, and I like to say twat, I'll be honest with you, not twat. Oh, I've complicated things already. Right? Uh, so how about twat brigade? Twat. That doesn't have an assonant now I vowel in it, I don't idiot. quite comprehend assonant. <laughs> You just, you just, I gave you twat, right? Yeah. So think of a two-syllable word where the first syllable has an ah sound. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so like uh, uh, the two-syllable word with an ah sound is uh, like uh, f- uh, f- farther. No, that's f- ah sound. Uh, fa- why, are you, why are you finding this so difficult? <laughs> uh, because I'm incredibly dyslexic and bad with words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really great at saying words, but uh, only very specific words. Uh, uh, twat, twat racket, ooh, twat wait, sander. How about twat bladder? How about spatula? Twat spatula. A twat spatula. There we go. Fine, it's three syllables, but I'll take Damn it. it. <laughs> <sighs> well, let's move on. You can't play word games with me, Yats. It takes too long. <laughs> Uh, a two-syllable I, word. This is all I'm going to be thinking about now. I, I want to think for myself. I'm not watching the chat. A two-syllable word with an ass sound. Uh, Chaitanya Kokha gives five US dollars to say, call me Chai. All right. Chai Kokha gives five US dollars to say, call me Chai. Love your work, guys. I'm getting addicted to Xbox achievements. Do either of you have such a problem? Is there a game you've 100%ed? Oh, sure. Well, not really when I have to get through a game in a week. Don't really have the time to get that obsessed with it mm. to get all the little hundred percenty bits. Sure. How about twat candy? Nice. Okay. Now you now you 
now you've got it. That'll work. I did it. All right. I, I, I feel better now. I, I can look at the chat again, and uh, and I feel good about it. Uh, the, the last game I 100%ed was, uh, was Ghost of Tsushima. Huh. Got really, really into that world. Really into that game. I don't need to care about full 100% achievement completion. Just getting the story ends usually enough for me. Mm-hmm. There's there's a few games that that do that for me. Like uh, the old Spelunky. I really, really wanted to hit all those achievements. Uh, yeah. uh, we've still got Super Chats, but it's like, so these were like came in after I said to stop sending Super Chats. So... Maybe we should stop, but then again, they did give us money. Yeah, well, you know, real quick, we're just we're chatting. It's fine. It's <laughs> okay. Fine. I feel like I feel like now that I've come up with twat candy, um, we right, that's, ready to move on. I, I can move life. on okay. and like actually pay attention to the things you're saying now. So, okay, Mister Waffles one three three seven gives five dollars to say love your videos, Yahtzee. First saw your videos on X Play. Have you thought about updating any of your past reviews like Minecraft? No, I haven't. I only really with Demon Souls, and I've already done that. There you go. Diego Lomac gives five R dollars and no comment. Thank you. Thank you. Mo- Moogle Mecca gives twenty US dollars to say I choose to believe I speak for all humans when I say I miss Fact Jack. Well, maybe you'll see Fact Jack again someday. Oh, that's a little tease right there. That's all you're getting. Goku Zombie Z gives five dollars to say which game is better, Papers Please or Return of the Obra Dinn? Personally, I like Papers Please just a little bit more. That's a tough one. I think I would say I prefer Obra Dinn actually because of the crossword thing. Mm, uh, and I'm going to be a pedantic dickhead and say that they are both great for very different reasons. And and I think oh, they are in right. different genres and cannot be compared apples to apples. <laughs> and finally. And finally, Scavenger gives five US dollars to say, for Jack's sanity, just sharing, he probably saw Brad Sherwood with Colin Mockery. I did indeed. They're fantastic. I, I, they're all fancy. Like, any, watch any episode of Whose Line and you're going to have a good time. They're, they're top-tier improvisers having, having a, a ball. Pretty much. Unless you're watching one of those like ones from British Whose Line back in the 90s. But there was just one episode where they brought in someone who's like a currently popular comedian, but Ooh. didn't actually know how to do improv very well. Yeah, you're probably right. There was a couple of that. There was a couple of that. And if you watch any from the 90s, like they're all going to be very dated references that I'm sure the audience at the moment loved. <coughs> but, you know, mm. nine times out of ten, you're going to have a great time. All right. I think I'm ready to wrap this up. Remember to sign up for a YouTube membership if you'd like to send in Super Chats in future uh, live podcasts of Slightly Something Else. Mm -hmm. Nick just reminding everyone in the chat there. I thought I'd back him up. Mm -hmm. Also, remember, you can become an Escapist Plus member. All sorts of benefits over there, uh, including I know I just recorded my video for our Ask the Creators Monthly, where you can ask us creators questions and we answer them in very tedious long answers that omar has to edit i'm so sorry omar Uh, i did too (laughs) now i'm self-conscious because my answers tend to be a bit shorter than everyone else's well you you have i get i guess i guess i get bored easily i i think you're very good at uh self-editing as you're used to writing and editing i am a video editor so i just talk and then edit out later (laughs) all right fine i will agree that i am brilliant you Uh, yes, and remember that all of this support means that we can do weird things for you without having to chase uh, an algorithm and talk about whatever mainstream thing is mainstream. Uh, and we do appreciate yeah. all your support. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why we can ref- ramble on about bollocks on these things. <laughs> yeah. And not mind that the VOD will probably only get like 20,000 views a month. Exactly. Like, mo- let's be honest, most of this episode was us talking about British panel shows, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> And weird fan fiction. <laughs> and there's probably some crossover there as well. Aha! Oh, oh, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Uh. All right. All right. Well, I, I was Yahtzee Crowshaw. Remember to follow me on Twitter. My handle should be under my face. It's not. Shit. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I'm so used to being under my face in other places. Bye.